the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Believe in empowering professional athletes and all entertainers with the knowledge they need to make informed decisions about their finances and wealth. Learn more. Go to morganstanley.com slash GSE. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC, member SIPC. Good morning. My name is Mike Giannetti, managing editor of Spot Track. We're joined by the the other half, the better half of Spot Track today, Scott Allen, the uh, developer slash stat guru slash MBA expert. Scott, thanks for joining. It's, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Unfortunately, there's really nothing to talk about in the NBA right now, which is uh, which is rare for that league. It's kind of a two week hiatus um, as you know the international play kind of comes down here a little bit and the teams start to find their shape. There will be plenty to talk about when these roster cuts start to happen and you know the starting fives, maybe the uh, st- you know the uh, starting seven, eight, nine get roster spots get filled in here. Um, we'll be breaking down some of the finances with that, and obviously there was quite an off season in the NBA that we'll have to sort of recap as well, but. For now, it's an NFL show. Um, we're going to bring in some baseball and a little bit of hockey at the end of this. Um, you know, the Maple Leafs made some noise again, and I think it has a lot to do with where the league is going, and we'll discuss that a little bit. It's, there's some news about the CBA and the NHL right now, but let's start with the football, with the NFL, obviously. Um, boy, two weeks in, and every, all the talk is is injuries, and that's just sort of the nature of the beast right now in the NFL, but... Major injuries to discuss here, uh, starting with Ben Roethlisberger, obviously, out for the year. Um, the age is a factor. The contract is a factor. Mason Rudolph might be a factor. There's just a lot to unfold here with the Steelers, um, who also made them, you know, put themselves back in the news last night, by the way. We'll get to that. But let's, let's break down the numbers of Ben. Um, recently signed three-year extension. Uh, the Steelers are going to benefit here from their sort of contract structure right so they don't they do not guarantee base salaries okay so none of ben roethlisberger's base salaries are fully guaranteed they are however guaranteed for injury so this is a discussion about how much is sort of hanging in the balance right now with ben um, because there's plenty of money to be made and this was year one of the contract so that's never a good sign when you've got a player with a major injury it doesn't appear as though this is a tommy john type injury so it does sound like he does have a chance to get back in 2020 but like I said, the age is going to be a big part of this. I mean, obviously, the uh, the recovery time, the recovery possibility is going to be slimmer and slimmer with um, a player of his age, and, and he's been beaten up a bunch over the past few years here. So I can't say for sure that you know he's back 100% in 2020, but from a contractual standpoint, he better be because here's what the numbers bear out here. He's got $16 million guaranteed for injury next year. He's going to make that no matter what. He's got $14 million guaranteed for injury in 2021. That's an additional $30 million just kind of hanging there. Add that in to the $25 million of prorated signing bonus dead cap, and you're, we're talking $55 million of dead cap for Ben Roethlisberger next year. Uh, not great. <laughs> not great at all, especially after a year where they took on $21 million to let Antonio Brown go. So this is a team that was not planning for this. They were sort of... They were sort of in the window of, you know, the James Conner, Juju Schmischuster era now where the offense was actually really, you know, valuable and cheap around Ben Roethlisberger. So paying him this contract outside of the injury was really a no brainer. Uh, But obviously this is a, you know, this is a different side of it all. So you put this injury in fold. 
the the worst case scenario here is Mason Rudolph doesn't play well, right? If if he doesn't play well, then everything they've done, including the trade they made last night, makes absolutely no sense. If Mason Rudolph plays well, then you sort of know what you have, irregardless of how Ben Roethlisberger can come back. My, my thinking is because of the way the contract breaks down here and the number I, uh, numbers I just gave out. My thinking is Ben does come back in 2020, and he's likely the starter. Now, does that mean that Mason Rudolph can't win this job in the next 10 weeks? Of course, of course it can. That's, you know, we've seen it happen time and time. Most recently with Dak Prescott in Dallas, when Tony Romo went down with his injury, really couldn't come back to 100, percent and Dak really had shown enough to sort of take the reins over anyway. So, there's definitely a possibility that this happens in Pittsburgh. Um, the problem is Tony Romo had about. $25 million of dead cap, you know, a tie, tied to him, which they had to spread over a couple of years. Uh, Ben's got, you know, double that right now, more than double that right now. So my thinking is Pittsburgh is planning on Ben Roethlisberger next year as long as he's healthy. Um, but a lot of things can happen. And if it, and if it goes wrong and he's got to retire and, or, you know, or he simply just can't be a, a full-time starting quarterback, we're talking about a huge dead cap hit for Pittsburgh. So something to keep an eye on, obviously, over the next you know eight to 10 months as things unfold for 2020. But this is a blow to Pittsburgh financially and, of course, on the field. Uh, Scott, any thoughts? Yeah. It, Mason Rudolph, it, it makes me think of when Tom Brady got injured yeah. or uh, Drew Bledsoe got injured and Tom Brady came in and took over uh, at the end of Bledsoe's career and then Bledsoe was traded to the Bills. Did you just so, did you just compare Mason Rudolph to Tom Brady? <laughs> <laughs> well, in in a sense, yes. Um, I I have not seen him play enough yeah. to to constitute that he's going to be Tom Brady esque. But the injury situation uh, reminds me of that situation. Yeah, of course. And I mean this this could be the time, or it could be a situation like Matt Castle, where t- he came in when Tom Brady got injured and then they flipped him and may- maybe they can get their first round pick back from the trade that happened uh, late last night. So I mean, Rudolph, Rudolph was the number 76 overall pick last year. So, right. you know, it's not for nothing. It, you know, third rounders generally don't, you know, become quarterback ones in the league, but we've seen it happen before. Uh I have to think, based on the move they made last night, which was trading for for defensive back Micah Fitzpatrick from the Dolphins, I have to think that making that move makes me believe they really like Mason Rudolph. Because I don't think you you punt a first-round pick for a defensive back in the middle of the season here if you think that all is about to go to hell, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, because obviously, you know, it, it, they're trending downward right now, especially in that division with Baltimore looking like they look. Um, they're trending downward. So it's it's a there's a chance that the pick they just gave to Miami is going to be a very lucrative pick next year in the 2020 draft, um, which could have been a quarterback. Right. I mean, if they if they felt like Ben was never going to get back from this and Mason Rudolph was just a guy, then you keep that pick because that's a quarterback draft pick. So. My thinking is they like Mason Rudolph. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out in the next twelve weeks or so here. But um, look, at there's, yeah, I get it. We've seen, like I said, we've seen it before with the with the Brady Bledsoe situation, and recently with the with the uh, the Prescott Romo situation. It it happens. I guess my uh, my counter argument to this whole point is, what if it does happen? What if Mason Rudolph is, you know. The, the incumbent starter for 2020 
then what do you do with Ben financially? <laughs> because, yeah. I, I mean, he's not going anywhere. I mean, if he can pass a physical in March, which he would be silly to do, by the way, um, you know, then the, then the, that 30 million guarantee we're talking about doesn't come into the fold. We're talking about then roster bonuses that come in March, um, uh, which is, I believe 12 and a half next year, uh, without looking at it right now, I believe it's 12 and a half that, that would guarantee next March. So you're talking about a significantly less amount of money guaranteed for full guarantees versus injury guarantees. Um, so is he just a really high paid backup? Maybe. I mean, that's what we're about to see in New York, I believe, with the Daniel Jones, Eli Manning situation. So I guess it's a bad problem to have if Mason Rudolph becomes, you know, a stud in the next 12 to 12 to 14 weeks here. But um, the, the Roethlisberger contract is going to be a problem one way or another, whether he's too injured to come back, whether Mason Rudolph is a is a player or whether this thing all just blows up. And they need to start over, and they've got Ben's money just kind of hanging on this salary cap right now. So, uh, tough situation. Uh, you know, you're rooting for a guy like Mason Rudolph to come in and, and be able to, to manage this thing. And, and oh, by the way, if if he can, that third round rookie contract attached to James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster, like I talked about, incredible value. I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, I would have to, I would, I, I'd be hard pressed to find a quarterback, running back, wide receiver combo that would be that inexpensive for 2020. So we'll, uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that as well. But let's move to the next big uh, injury. Honestly, it's Drew Brees, similar situation, but way less financial ramification, right? A uh, little older. Brees is going to be 41 here. Um, he's on an expiring contract. This was a two-year deal that, you know, they, they, they pushed out a big signing bonus to, to make him happy and keep their cap low. Here's the thing, and it was really going to be a problem no matter what, whether he's, he's injured or not. Um, they've got $21.3 million of dead cap next year for Drew Brees, no matter what. Even if they extend him, that $21.3 million has to get added into the new contract for next year. So it's going to be difficult to see his him, his financial you know 2020 situation no matter how it bears out whether it's he's got a new contract and he's still the quarterback or he's retired or he's you know let walk to free agency uh a 20 million dollar plus contract uh, dead cap hit for anybody not playing on a team is just too big that's what antonio brown is costing to the steelers right now um we're seeing it more and more because salary caps are rising but it's just a that's just a tough pill to swallow if you're if you're New Orleans, especially for a guy who's not going to be around for the next six to eight weeks right now. So um, similar situation though, Teddy Bridgewater is going to have the reins. He's on an expiring contract, so it's it's uh, similar to a Jacoby Brissett in Indianapolis, where you know the you know the reins were kind of handed to him quickly, and obviously the case with Brissett was he got a little money to uh, make that happen. I don't think that'll be the case with Bridgewater. I think he'll have to earn you know, the job going forward and then another contract in New Orleans, but similar situation. It's just, uh, there's some ugly numbers surrounding it right now. So I, you know, do they love Teddy Bridgewater? I'm not sure. I think if they loved him, he's probably the starting quarterback already. Um, but we'll see. It's just interesting that both of these guys are going to, going to need a contract next year. And I'm not sure, you know, one or the other or none or both get it. You know, it's going to be weird how this all plays out for the saints in the next 18 months or so. Uh, so when you mentioned the 21.3 million in dead cap for hypothetical purposes, if he signed a, a minimum salary yeah. and added that 23 on, is, is that doable? Can, 
Well, are you going to get? That, are you going to get him to play for a million dollars next year? Because <laughs> that's yeah, what it would cost, right? But, but, you, but I, that is what you're saying. There, there's literally twenty one point three million sitting on next year's salary cap figure already. So if even if you paid him a ten million dollar salary, which is still a steal for Drew Brees, right? You're talking about a thirty one million dollar cap hit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a tough pill, pill to swallow. Yeah. Essentially, it's a it's a big, big franchise tag is what you're saying here. You can't franchise tag him, by the way. That's written into his contract. He's you're, The Saints are not allowed to franchise tag him. But because of this dead cap, like we just kind of broke out there, it's basically going to be a, a big fan, franchise tag no matter how they slice it. Um, I just think at 41 years old with this injury now in the fold and – um, you know, at some point they've got to flip the switch, whether it's Bridgewater, whether it's Taysom Hill, whether it's, you know, somebody they draft next year, at some point they've got to do it. Um, I, I just think, you know, they'd be crazy not to consider that in 2020, right? So uh, question for you, if for some reason he, he's unable to play and that 21-3 is dead, can they post-June him and spread that cap out or is it all nope. in – Nope, it's all next year. There's no additional years on the contract. So the, the 20, 2020 was the only dummy year, which is what is which is what that's called. It's an mm-hmm. automatically voidable year that's used just to spread the signing bonus out more. Um, the problem is they did a huge restructure on his contract this year, um, which pumped ten point eight million more down the line. So, yeah, unfortunately they can't they can't break that out. Um, we'll see what happens. That's like I said, that's a tough pill to swallow for anyone financially. But I think the bigger question is 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 he signed back at all, or is it is it onward and upward with the the Saints quarterback position in 2020? Uh, let's go back to a, something we talked about that sort of hit in the middle of the night that I just happened to be up for. <laughs> um, uh, the Steelers acquired cornerback Minka Fitzpatrick, who is actually more of a safety. Um, I think he wants to be more of a free safety and, a, and a, sort of a roaming defensive back than a true cornerback, and what, one of the reasons he wanted out of Miami in the first place. Uh, first round pick, 2020 first round pick goes to Miami. It's their third first round pick now, so they are stockpiling high assets to go with a ton of cap space. The tank is certainly real in Miami right now. Uh, boy, but the media is just killing this move for, for Pittsburgh this morning, and I understand it. We sort of talked about it a little bit with the with the Wallisberger situation. You know, it's an identity thing right right now. If the, the Steelers clearly think they're better than we all think they are, right? And, and by mean better, I mean Mason Rudolph is going to be able to man this ship, um, and you know the wheels aren't going to totally fall off. If that's the case, and if Ben comes back healthy, right? If and if and if and if. There's lots of ifs here. Then this might be an okay trade um, because this is a this is a player with a ton of contractual control, and it is the reason that a first round pick was required to get him. He has essentially. Three, five, five and a half million, almost six million dollars over the next three years for a number eleven overall pick. Uh, this is essentially the Josh Rosen trade for a player who can actually kind of play. Um, then, of course, you got the fifth year option in twenty twenty two. So you're talking about four years of of rookie contract control for a player that was just drafted high last year um, and should make an immediate impact on the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. So I get it, but. Um, like I said, the question here and, and why people are gawking at it so much is, you know, if the wheels do fall off, you really would have wanted that first round pick. Well, and on top of that, uh, per Shefty this morning, uh, not only was it a first round pick, Miami also gets a 2025th and a 2021 sixth and Pittsburgh gets fits and a 2024th and a 2021 sixth. Okay. So some late round swaps as well. 
Yeah. Which makes a little sense. I mean, I like the fact that Pittsburgh got a fourth back in that. You can do some damage with a fourth. I think that's generally where they get their wide receivers anyway. <laughs> um, so, you know, certainly that adds to it a little bit and makes it a little, a little bit easier to swallow. But, of course, the first-round pick is where everyone's going to stick their eyes on here because of everything we just talked about and, you know, the, the need for uh, some sort of replacement at the quarterback position if Mason Rudolph is a disaster here. Obviously, they don't think that's going to be the case. So I'm, I'm going to look at this as a positive trade for both. Um, I'm a little concerned that Miami is is honestly breaking this down a little bit more than they need to. I mean, they've got $125 million of projected cap space next year. They've got three firsts this year or ne- next year. They've got, I believe, three seconds in the next two years. Uh, you know, th- they're not going to keep all those picks. That That's just something that never happens. That's that's trade ammo, if nothing else. But they've now given away a, a rookie-controlled left tackle and a, and a very rookie-controlled cornerback slash safety um, in the middle of a, you know, a full rebuild. So are those positions you you maybe want to keep around and build around? Possibly. But boy, uh, is this not the uh, nail in the coffin that we are officially in the player, the player generation here, right? I mean, this guy basically just said three days ago, I want out and he's out. And, you know, now we're moving on to, we just saw that with Antonio Brown. We saw it with Odell Beckham Jr., um, it is a, you know, it's very NBA like, but it's really just the nature of sports right now. Don't you think? I mean, this player demand, um, you know, cause a stir, create some chaos to get yourself into a better, better position. It's, uh, I don't know if it's great. Uh, you know, it's kind of awkward at times and you know, it's the power of social media and the power of the, you know, the world we live in right now, but it is, it is certainly working for the players. Yeah, I, I agree. It, the first thing that comes to mind, because I'm always looking at the NBA stuff and putting that in is it's NBA like, especially with, you know, Jalen Ramsey now wanting to trade. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all these players are forcing the hand of the team and now the teams have to decide, do we keep them or do we flip them to try to get some kind of asset back uh, to to mitigate getting nothing if they were to walk or hold out and pay them, but not get any production. So I I think the teams are in that delicate balance of what do we do? Do we just cut our losses and get uh, something back that even if it's a fourth, fifth, sixth rounder that you could potentially on draft day use to trade up to get a more, uh, reliable, controllable right. player. So that, so that's so more of the Antonio Brown situation, right? We just got to get him out of here. We're not going to pay him more money. Um, we'll take whatever we can get. But this one, this Minka Fitzpatrick trade, it sort of goes against the grain of, of everything we've just talked about now, right? Because he, like I said, he is so dirt cheap for four mm-hmm. years, for at least right. three years, probably four years. There, there was no contract extension. It's, you know, he's not even eligible for a contract extension until after 2020. So, the timing of this is, I think, what has people sort of confused because he should have been part of the rebuild. He's the, he's the type of contract you keep around right now if you're trying to sort of limp into this thing and, and, and get yourself a quarterback and then, you know, then f- figure out a good time to put the gas pedal back, back, back down. I don't think you needed to trade him, but th- this is clearly it's clearly Miami saying we think a first round draft pick right now is worth more than anything else. Um it, they're clearly going for a quarterback, whether it's this year or in 2021. The, the the point of having three firsts is to get the best first, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, if you if they don't get the number one pick, which I don't know how that's possible, it's based on the two weeks of performance here. But if they don't get it, um, 
they certainly can give away the farm to get up there and get there, right? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, at some point though, you have you have to you have to. It's risk versus reward, and I think this is going to be questionable. It, it, it's 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 a tough trade for Miami until it's not, in my opinion. Have you heard? Was there any? off the field or yeah. locker room like issues said, that was, they yeah, didn't they, want to deal with. Not, I mean, just, just a general displeasure for being on this terrible team mm-hmm. <laughs> is from what I'm hearing. It's uh, it didn't get as it didn't escalate to the Jalen Ramsey situation, which we'll talk about in a second here. But um, you know, you heard rumblings after that, for, after that trouncing from Baltimore that, you know, there were multiple players in that locker room saying, get me the H out of here. Uh, and I believe he was one of them. So, you know, did Miami have to do this? No, no team has to do it. I mean, Pittsburgh didn't have to trade Antonio Brown. The Giants didn't have to trade Odell Beckham Jr. You know, they can certainly put their foot down and say, "Sorry, I'm sorry, you're not happy, but you know, go out and catch the ball." But um, so, and, and I'm and I'm interested to see a team actually do that. I guess actually the Redskins have done that essentially, right? With with Trent Williams, mm-hmm. um, that's one that's one of the teams that has been well, and sort of the Melvin Gordon situation as well. Do do you think I'm looking Miami? They're getting Houston's first and Pittsburgh's first Pittsburgh. You know, they may do well with Rudolph remains to be seen. I think they're about the same two teams. Those two get I think Houston and Pittsburgh about the same right now. Do do you think because those picks they they could wind up in the middle depending on how well they do. I think that's about right. Seven wins. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but where I'm going with this is, do you think we'll ever see a trend where like in the NBA where they say top 10 protected ah, or nice. top 15 protected? Do you think anything like that may come down the line in the NFL where where Pittsburgh, they trade, they think uh, if this doesn't work and we end up in the top 10, we can keep our pick. But right now, if they somehow floundered the remainder of the season and ended up in the top 10, Miami's getting a number one potentially and a top 10 and who knows where Houston may go. Um, so so you you're think saying you might see a trend. So you're saying protected out of the top 10 in 2020. And if Pittsburgh plays enough to stay out of the top 10, then it becomes a 2021 pick, maybe 2021 it, second or something. Right. It could convey into something different. So like in the NBA, if it doesn't, if, if it, doesn't fall within that top 10 they get it or then it can if it does then they convey to either the next uh first round or two seconds or however they structure the deal yeah we don't really see that in the nfl i'm curious to know if teams are well let me let me let me play a little devil's devil's advocate on that because there's there is a stark difference between the nba draft and the nfl draft and it's ping pong balls (laughs) right right um, essentially NFL teams can massage their draft position the last eight or nine weeks of the year. Right. And we've, we've seen right. it more and more in the last maybe decade or so. Um, so I think teams would be reluctant to sign off on something like that, knowing that a lot of things can be, you know, sort of plagiarized to make this work. Um, I, I still like it. I still think any kind of condition like that to protect the team would be smart. I, I, I can't imagine teams haven't asked about this. Um, and tried to do it. I mean, we've seen conditional draft picks based on like playing time or production. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure we've seen it to that to that extent of you know where it falls in the draft. But this this would be a perfect example of of a situation where it would be it would be worth it. I think Pittsburgh could have said, you know, this we'll give you a first for this guy, but it, it's it's not going to be a top ten first. Um, 
I like that. I actually like that for this specific case study. So uh, I don't know, something to keep an eye on going forward for sure. I, I also think there were there, there might have been better teams for Micah Fitzpatrick out there. I, I'm not sure the Pittsburgh Steelers were the best fit because of everything we just kind of talked about. Um, not to mention, he does want to play safety, not cornerback, and and Pittsburgh sort of needs a cornerback. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, 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 saw, I thought there were maybe bigger contenders out there like Seattle and Dallas and Kansas City that could have made this work. Uh, my guess is they weren't willing to give a fir- an unprotected first round pickup for him right now, though. So I understand it, but it's a uh, it's got a potential to work gangbusters on both sides, honestly, based on the contract and the draft pick. Let's mm-hmm. get to, let's get to Jalen Ramsey, as you mentioned. That got ugly pretty fast. Um, sure, sounds like he's going to go. I mean, I'm sure many of you have seen the video on the sideline with co- head coach Doug Marone, where they basically. You know, we're going at each other a couple multiple times. Each of them had to be held back, and then Ramsey, you know, called his agent after the game and said, "Give me the H out of here." Uh, we've seen how that's been working, so I expect him to go. <laughs> uh, here's the problem: um, it's a bit of a Laramie Tunzel situation where really good player. Well, I shouldn't say that. Jalen Ramsey brings baggage. Um, I mean, that that on-field incident there is sort of a, an example of of the kind of personality he can have at times. He's also a heck of a player. He's he's also in need of a contract. So um, he's got he's he's dirt cheap this year. He's about three million left on the deal now, and then he's got the fifth year option next year. But all of that can be ripped up for what should be a contract north of sixteen million dollars per year. He's going to reset the market for the cornerback, um, and there are teams that need a shutdown guy like him in the next two three years, which is what the guarantees would come in, into. Uh, I'm talking about the Chiefs, the Rams, and I actually think the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> excuse me, the Las Vegas Raiders might be the best fit for him, which sounds crazy because, you know, we've, you know, we've been dumping on the Raiders for so many years now and, you know, things got off to such a rough start in the summer here. But uh, if you've seen them at all on the field, they sort of don't look too terrible. (laughs) It sort of looks like a couple of these draft picks they made might work out. Um, Derek Carr looks like Derek Carr of two years ago, not Derek Carr of one year ago. Um, you know, they're not going to win a ton of games this year, but it certainly looks like the, they're in the right direction. They're, they're heading in the right direction from a franchise standpoint. And, and a player like Jalen Ramsey in the back of that defense, you know, if that's the guy you got to pay, I think it makes a heck of a lot of sense in, in a John Gruden system right now, especially as that offense will be cheap for a few years here based on what they've done. I, uh, to me, that's the, that's the number one option is, is the Oakland Las Vegas Raiders for Jalen Ramsey. Now, is it going to be a first-round pick? I'd say, and then some. I think if Minka Fitzpatrick garnered a first-round pick, even knowing Ramsey needs to get paid, I, I do think it's a first-plus-other picks um, coming for Jalen Ramsey. Now, J- Jacksonville might demand a player back in this deal because they're losing a starting, you know, a starting defensive back. You know, on a team that I think can can, can continue to compete in 2019. So, if this trade has to happen, my guess is they're going to want some sort of play. You know. NFL ready player in return. Uh, I'm not sure Oakland is ready to do that. Dallas might be if Dallas can get in this conversation, but I'm not sure Dallas has the cap money to make this work anyway. Can, can a team trade for him now and then do an extension now? I, what are the rules with him being on the rookie contract and being in season? Yeah. They, Does he have to wait or can it happen now? No, he's past his three year threshold. So he's extension eligible. Um, my guess is, and I'm just spitballing here. My guess is that any trade that, that is processed will have to come with a, an extension ready to be signed. Um, that doesn't have to be the case. That wasn't the case with Laramie Tunzel. And it was very similar numbers with Tunzel heading to Houston, right? It was a, 
it was a low fourth year salary with a fifth year option coming and they they certainly haven't you know extended him yet so you know it's possible that a team like Dallas could take him on at three million for this year and and squeeze him into their minimal cap space and then talk about an extension in, in the off season um I, I just wonder if, if in the long term, with you know Mari Cooper and Dak Prescott needing money, if, if Jalen Ramsey would even fit in that equation. I'm just thinking of it from a football standpoint more than anything there. But yeah, I would. My guess is the, the Ramsey and his camp are thinking trade and extension right now, but it's not a necessity. What's, what do you think about this? I mean, is this is this an example of because we've we, I mean we're both from Buffalo. We we follow the Bills, and uh, yep. you know we. Uh, we had a firsthand experience with Doug Marone, right? Yeah, sort exactly. Of, you know, pushing this thing. You know, you know, he's got kind of that bra- that brazen personality. Uh, but boy, he uh, he won some games, and then he he walked for what he thought was greener grass. And he's got a, a decent team right now. Certainly a good defense. Um, I, I mentioned how teams really haven't put their foot down yet on these trade demands. Uh, this seems like one that could happen, right? This seems like one that could happen. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're get like we said a little bit earlier, we're getting into this era of players demanding trade. They want out. I mean, we saw it with Anthony Davis in the NBA. Um, Paul George. Paul George. Yep. Now, now it's g- getting into the NFL where even even a, a someone who's on his rookie contract is forcing their hand. Uh, to try to get out of a situation that he doesn't want to be, you know, anyone else that has an actual uh, contractual job, they have to work through their contract or they're cut or uh, fired and sure. you don't get compensated. So, you know, a player like this, a lot of people are probably thinking, just play your contract out and deal with it. And so, I wonder. I, I, I wonder if the lack of a of a contract is a big part of this because J- Jacksonville came out pretty early this offseason saying we we will not be extending Jalen Ramsey this summer. Um, they were going to wait till at least the, the next offseason. So I, I wonder how much of this is you know what we saw on the field with Doug Marone versus you know I'm sick of playing on two three million dollars and you know it's time to uh, reset the market like I know I should. I, I just wonder. Do, he's got red flags with him, that's for sure. <laughs> do you, do you think? And I, I believe in past podcasts you've you've talked about this, but do you believe this four plus one extra option year for first rounders is is too many years now? Uh, do you think you, they could get away with restructuring in the new CBA to only be three? Um, yeah, I, I I of course do. Um, you know, just the, the natural age of the, of the NFL career is dipping. Obviously the 27 year mark is the peak right now. And, you know, when you're talking about a 20, 21 year old coming out of college, four plus one equals 26. So that doesn't look good for your second contract. If that's the, if that's the math we're talking about here. Um, the problem is I, I don't think the rookie wage scale is going to even become a conversation with this CBA because there's so many other fish to fry, right? Like, for instance, you're talking about the four plus one, but you're forgetting the franchise tag and then maybe another franchise tag after that. Right. Um, and I think that's where many of this, this the discussions will lie with this CBA is we'll, we'll deal with five years for first rounders if we have to, but we can't have six and seven like a Kirk Cousins situation, right? Um, but I, I just think... In general, to answer your question, yes, I think, you know, what is the NBA? Two two years, then two club options, and then a qualifying offer. So it's essentially five yep. years as well, right? The problem uh, there is, though, 
no teams are, are barely letting it get to the fourth year, right? I mean, most of these guys are getting extended in their third year. Well, and the, the two third and fourth year options have to be exercised a year ahead of time. Sure. So they could say after this, after the first, second year, whether they exercise or not, and you know, you're going to be a free agent ahead of time. Um, so maybe something like that trickles into the NFL where, yeah, I think the, the I think fourth the year is an option year. Right. I think the model they have is okay. I think it just needs to be shortened. And I, I think the same should be said for baseball, which is a six year pre you know, pre free agency situation. Um, it's just the nature of these games. You know, the younger kids are coming out and, and, and making an impact right now. I mean, half the league, half the starting quarterbacks in the league for week three are going to be less than $10 million. <laughs> I mean, that's just where we are. So, mm-hmm. so if that's how the game is going to be, you know, built, then yeah, the players should be really ticked off about this four plus one situation that you're breaking out here. And I just think, like I said, I think the model's fine. I don't think it needs to mimic the NBA too much. I just think it needs to be shorter. I just think it needs to be quicker. Now on, on a team standpoint, I mean, there's 17 teams that have more than 50 million in space next year. That too. I mean, why there's, why there's cap not being not, spent. Yeah. What, if you're a team and you have all this space and you can give up maybe a second or a third rounder for him, why would you not spend that? And I mean, for the Indianapolis Colts, 109 million in space. What's 16 million to get uh, Jalen? Someone? In, yeah. I mean, I, I, they're what, probably what, thinking about that. Don't worry. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, with all this space, I mean, it just seems like some of these teams should be jumping on this, mm-hmm. especially if they see a window of opportunity of, you know, that window shrinks, especially with these injuries that we're seeing to some of these uh, elite players. Well, I mean, not, not to get too far off on a tangent here, but you, you mentioned the Colts. I'm going to bring in the, te- the Texans into this conversation um, who have had ample cap space now from, from 2018 to 2019 and certainly in 2020. We talked about Larry Tunzel needing a contract. Deshaun Watson will be ready for one after 2019, you know, as long as they're comfortable there. Um, why, why not do it now? Right? I mean, why, exactly. why, why are teams letting things get to the finish line? Now, we, you know, I've heard some decent arguments, as, and it go, goes along with what you were saying there. Honor your contract, and then we'll give you a new one. Um, and that's certainly one way to think about it. But if you're the Cowboys with Dak Prescott, Boy, you should. Boy, you. I bet you would have loved to pay him last year, <laughs> right? I mean, right. I, I, I mean, I bet that number was twenty-eight million dollars a year last year, honestly. And now you're probably closer to thirty-eight. I mean, you're talking thirty-five is the is the max right now. If they don't sign him, if this thing gets to free agency with Dak Prescott, which boy, that's worst case scenario. But now you're going up against Patrick Mahomes' extension, right? Because that's what's mm-hmm. going to be the talk of the twenty twenty summer. So if you're going to let that happen and you're going to let Deshaun Watson get a contract and maybe Trubisky gets extended to, to a certain degree, if, if all three of those quarterbacks are now in the conversation with Dak Prescott and Mahomes is about to reset the entire sports market, uh, you know, how much did you lose by not getting this guy done early? This is what I'm saying. Teams with cap space should be identifying who's going to be around for three years and getting it done now. And look, at you don't have to front-load it. We've talked about front-loaded contracts versus back-loaded contracts. If, if you've got ample cap space in 2020 versus 2019, then you do what a lot of these, these major quarterback contracts have been. A, a decent-sized signing bonus now 
with a smaller cap hit this year and then a bigger signing bonus, you know, an option bonus the next year, which is how the Jared Goff contract works, which is how uh, I'm drawing a blank. Zeke Elliott's works. I believe that's how Dak will work when it gets done. But you can manipulate the cap however you want to. And teams with, that have cap space now and next year should be identifying players that have to get done and getting it done now. Don't wait. There's no reason to wait. Money, it's just funny money when you're moving it around like this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think I'm incorrect when saying that Dak Prescott is going to cost almost $10 million more a year than he did last year. So you can say it was good business to wait to see what you had in Dak Prescott, but I'm not sure it was good financial business. Let's move on. Uh, I mentioned the uh, Eli Manning, Daniel Jones situation. I think that's going to pick up steam in the next 24 hours or so. I, I, I think Eli gets one more week personally, just the way this is all breaking out. Um, we'll see. Uh, you've anyone who's listened to this podcast for a year or so, you've been hearing me complain about this for a year. I can't believe he's still on this team. I can't believe he wanted to be on this team still. I understand, you know, it's an additional $17 million in his pocket, which he now has, by the way, it's fully guaranteed. Um, I understand the argument that he's there to help Daniel Jones. How is any of this good for anybody right now? This is a terrible way for him to finish his career. There's reports that maybe he's out of the Hall of Fame now because of this the past 18 months of football, which it's hard to argue. I mean, he's not even been he's not even been average with his completion percentage and his ability to to manage an offense. So, I, I I hate this for Eli Manning. I hate this for the Giants because the Giants the Giants made it clear that this was going to be a rebuild last October at the trade deadline when they started to just ship people out, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So you can't do that and then come back in March and say, all right, let's start putting this team together to win. It's just not how it works. I mean, you, there's a grace period, right? There's a, you got to rip the bandaid off. You got to do what you got to do. You, you went and got the quarterback that you thought you liked. He looks like he can play. Uh, and then you just put this thing into, you know, you tried to be the chiefs and slow play this thing, except for the chiefs were a playoff team. <laughs> okay. Alex Smith and the chiefs were a playoff team. So, of course, Mahomes is going to learn something from that, you know, amount of su- level of success throughout an entire year sitting on the bench. That, this, is, this isn't good for anybody right now watching this Giants team, not even fans, right? Uh, I just don't understand the, stri- the, the, the chronological, you know, the, the steps they're taking in the order they're taking them. And, you know, love or hate Eli Manning, there was no business need to pay him $17 million this year. There just wasn't. And now they're going to bench him, and he's going to be one of the highest-paid backups in the history of football. So that's my gripe on that. I don't know if you got anything to add to that, but that's uh, you know that's been six straight six straight weeks really of me you know demanding <laughs> demanding Eli Manning not be on this roster, and now we're in week three. The Giants are finally realizing, hey, this is maybe not a good idea. Yeah, I mean, we got to watch it firsthand uh, on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. So right. I mean, you could just see his facial expressions. Like he hates oh, it. Man, he I, hates being out there. He does, and. If you're the New York Giants, you have a window with Saquon Barkley. Exactly. Yes, he was a uh, what the second pick, and they got him at a seven million cap hit right now. Yeah. But if he projects to where sure he's going to be sixteen million a year, is, they're <laughs> they're going to be hurting in three years. So why not, like you said, rip the bandaid off? Let Daniel Jones get the reps now and uh, see where things can go and let those two young players get a relationship, get the chemistry together now instead of just delaying the inevitable with Manning. I mean, 
It, it, let, let me put it this way, because a lot of people have said that, you know, you don't play Daniel Jones now because you're going to waste his talent. You're going to ruin his career by putting him out there right now. Is anybody gawking at what the Arizona Cardinals did this offseason? Because this is what the Arizona Cardinals did. They drafted a quarterback number 10 or 10 or 11, Rosen. I think it was 11. Number 11 overall. No, it was 10. Josh Rosen, number 10 overall. They gave him a year. They didn't like what they saw, and they got him out of town, and they ate some money. So he, he, here's the numbers. Daniel Jones signed a $25.5 million fully guaranteed contract, $25.5 million. Eli Manning is making $17 million this year. <laughs> okay? That's a difference of $8 million. So you're mm-hmm. telling me that you can't forfeit $8 million to try to get your, start, your number six overall pick quarterback into the, onto the field right now? That's the difference. That, that's what you're leveraging in, in term, between these two players right now. Just do it. The Arizona Cardinals just proved it can change on a yearly basis if it has to. The teams have cap space. The, the money is there. The cash is there, right? I mean, you can do this. The quarterback is that important. Put him out there right now with Saquon Barkley, with a couple of these other players. You brought in Golden Tate. He'll be here week five. Maybe that's what they're thinking. We're going to wait till Tate gets here. Then we'll, get, then we'll bring Daniel Jones into the fold. But, but this should never have been a conversation. In my opinion, You've got the you've got the quarterback in, in the four year window, the five year window here. Um, it, it's his four year payout is comparable to a one year veteran payout. So what are you doing with a veteran? What are you doing with a veteran that costs that much money? You know, right? It if, just makes Dan- no sense. Case Keenum at three million, you can understand that, <laughs> okay? Eli Manning at seventeen, no, that, that's not that's not how you do this right now. Yeah, if Daniel Jones goes out and throws a million interceptions. Yeah. So what he's learning, he's getting the reps. Uh, Eli Manning had, uh, let's see, 11 interceptions last year, 13 the year before. So even if he goes out and throws 15, 16, 20 interceptions, so what if he gets sacked? So what let him get the experience under his belt now. Right. So that going into year two, I mean, we saw that here in Buffalo with Josh Allen. Yeah, he wasn't the best, but we're seeing his growth now with him having that experience. They brought in some wide receivers. They brought in some veteran running backs to help out. I, I think you it, it's a matter of getting the reps. You're not going to get it in practice. You're not going to get it in spring training or uh, uh, preseason. So They also did a lot of work on their offensive line. They, they they've put, they've put a ton of money they, and they they acquired a couple of players for the in the Odell in the Odell move. It's not like that's a brand new offensive line that you know is you know gonna gonna get Daniel Jones killed out there. Okay, I mean they're not the best offensive line in football that's for sure, but they've put some effort into it. So you've done that right. Put the kid out there. Yeah, put the kid out there. Get his reps. Let him yep, let him fight through this year while you fight through your financial you know rebuild. And then, yeah, like you said, then you go. Then you start to pull, pull, pull some pieces in from free agency, maybe acquire a couple of players via trade. But you, you got to start here. You got You can't start with Eli. You can't do that. I mean, we've, Eli is who he is now, and that's too bad. But, man, this is just a bad business move, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's get off of football. That's plenty of football for a day, right? That's what everybody says until they're talking about football for the next nine hours. But... <laughs> There is some news in, in, in Major League Baseball, and the news is that the season's almost over. I mean, we're, we're talking 12 games left for a lot of these teams, and then it's postseason time. And, uh, you know, for a lot of the teams that aren't in the postseason, they're already, they're, their head is already in 2020 with the uh, free agency on the, on the cusp. 
with, you know, offseason moves, really, we've seen trades more than I think we've seen big signings, you know, take precedence over the last three, four winners. So a lot of the unknowns are going to be what makes the MLB offseason fun. But this is a pitcher-heavy market in an era where paying pitchers is what it's about. Um, I've got a list of names here that, you know, some of them may be attractive, some of them not. But you've got arguably the best pitcher in baseball right now about to hit the free agent market in Garrett Cole. Um, and what's funny is he may be the third best pitcher on the Houston Astros. I mean, when you're talking about Justin Verlander, newly acquired Zach Grinke, and now Garrett Cole as a one, two, three punch heading into the postseason, uh, that's certainly going to be a lot for American League teams to swallow here going forward. Garrett Cole. It, it, the guy to put him up against right now is Patrick Corbin, who got the big contract this past free agent season. Uh, I believe it was $140 million over six years. He was signed by the Nationals almost immediately. After two years of teams waiting these free agents out, letting the prices drop, and getting these guys at values early, late January, early February, the Washington Nationals, and apparently plenty of other teams that were bidding worse for this guy, made it very clear that we're not letting anyone else get Patrick Corbin. We're getting this done as quickly as possible. Which makes me think that this free agent season with the list of players, Garrett Cole, Madison Bumgarner, Hudson Ryu, Zach Wheeler, Jake Odorizzi, Dallas Heichel, and possibly even Steven Strasburg if he opts out of Washington, if those you know, leading pitching names hit the market, December should be fun. Because if, 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 the, if the deal is we're going to pay pitchers, you know, we're not going to stop paying pitchers like we're st- we've stopped paying, paying the batters, then there should be plenty to talk about in, in December when the... Uh, winter meetings and, and such come, come around. But I, I don't know. Where are your thoughts with this, Scott? I mean, this is a home run era. <laughs> Teams are breaking home run records. Players are breaking home run records. Um, I've got a, couple, a bunch of home run numbers here to sort of back all this up. But this is a pitching class. I mean, there's certainly a couple of hitters out there in, in, in the uh, Anthony Rendon's, the Josh Donaldson's, to name a few, that are going to become free agent, you know, darlings here at some point with some team. But is this going to be much of the same where the pitchers dominate the offseason and then, uh, you know, the batter sort of fill in the blanks from there? I, I do think so. I think that the starting pitcher more so is becoming more like the quarterback where you want your superstar pitcher to be on the mound, even though it's every four or five games. If you can get one, uh, two or three of those starting pitchers to be able to go seven innings a game and yeah, you're going to pay them because that's your defense against those batters. You want that one person to be able to uh, manipulate the game so that going into the last couple innings, there's as few runs as possible where your relief pitchers can come in. So yeah, I think you're, you're going to see teams dole out the money and say, we want you, you're going to be our, you're going to be our featured ace and we're going to move forward with that and then the batters you know my question to you on the on this is are the home run surge that we're seeing right now going to have some sort of effect on the valuation of these hitters uh is it just an anomaly are teams going to say we're not paying for these home run hitters because i can get a 20, 30 home run hitter, multiple of them, instead of paying to get a 40 or 50 home run hitter. Uh, 
So do you do you think there's going to be a, a shift in the valuation of these players based on this surge? So let me go back to it almost exactly a year from now when we had a little discussion about, you know, you know, where baseball is financially on this podcast. It was almost exactly the opposite conversation. We were talking about how teams were starting to use openers, how the seven, eight, nine, the you know, solidarity of the seven, eight, nine bullpen guy was as important as anyone. And what happened and, and how, and how honestly the starting pitcher was being devalued because of all this, right? You were, it, you were better off having three okay, you know, good starting pitchers, but maybe not any great highly paid ones, as long as you had a solid seven, eight, nine bullpen to, to go with it. And what happened in 2019 bullpens got destroyed every bullpen, mm-hmm. even the teams going to the playoffs, they got destroyed. I, uh, it's really funny how this worked out. Yeah, I'm going to get to your home run point in a second here. But the the struggles that teams have had with their bullpens, whether they're openers, whether they're closers. I mean, the best closer in baseball last year, Edwin Diaz, is not a closer right now for the Mets. I mean, he's just not. He's not even an eighth inning guy right now for the Mets. So, I mean, the, the fall off, Craig Kimbrell struggling after being signed late. It, it just across the board, Kenley Jansen is being, you know, slow played through this season. I... There's just the, the, the drop off for these guys and the shelf life for these guys is so quick. It's like a kicker in football right now. I mean, it's week to week. It's oh, week yeah, I, to week. I've, I've been I watched the Nationals and their bullpen uh, right. has lost them at least 10 games this year, maybe more. I mean, they, they would be up by five runs and then the relief pitchers come in and they lose by a run or two. I, 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 totally I, think, the, I think the nationals are the perfect model for this discussion right now, because a, they did get Patrick Corbin who did solidify that number three spot. Steven Sprouse, Strasburg actually stayed healthy, which made a huge difference later in the year when the nationals generally have fallen off now. And you saw what happened when Max Scherzer was injured for two stints here. That team just died off. That team mm-hmm. died off. That team couldn't win without starting pitching. If their starting pitching is healthy and now the addition of a, of a solid third in Corbin, that team looks like a team that can get into the postseason and do some damage. Now, I'm not sure they're to the Dodgers level, but that's exact. I mean, the Dodgers have this exact model. Like I said, they, even they've been struggling, struggling with the Kenley Jansons in the back of their bullpen. Um, they might have to turn to a guy like Joe Kelly, who's got the postseason experience anyway. But Walker Bueller... Clinton Kershaw and Ryu have be, have been the staple of that team from a from a pitching standpoint. So it's a completely different conversation. In February, when we were discussing the you know the backlash of the of a, another slow free agency, I, I was really worried that you know guys like Jacob Degrom, who wasn't yet signed, was in trouble contractually because maybe the Mets were thinking what other teams were thinking, which was we got our ninth inning guy and and I'm not sure we need to pay a you know a starting pitcher thirty million dollars a year anymore because of the way this the, the game is sort of hashing out, and if you can get yourself through six innings, then you're good from there. Uh, it's changed immediately. This this season completely turned itself on its head. Uh, starting pitching is back to where you know the dominance that that it has been for a lot of years, uh, and I think this crop of free agents that we laid out here will 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 cash in, including Dallas Keuchel, by the way, who didn't sign until June with the Braves, um, and has been more than adequate for a team that's about to uh, you know probably find itself in the National League Championship Series. So to answer your question from a pitching standpoint, I just think it's really funny how one season completely f- reversed the fold of, of, of team thinking of how this thing needs to happen. And then to, to, to tack on to your home run point, let me throw some numbers at you and, and get your thoughts on this. 
Uh, as of last night, when I put together some of these stats, there were 48 players in the league who had at least 30 home runs, which is unbelievable, by the way. I mean, that is unbelievable. That's more than a player team, obviously. But here's the number. 38 of those 48 players are making less than $15 million a year. Mm. I, I mean, and I believe, Value. I believe 12 <laughs> of those are less than a million dollars, are true pre-arbitration guys, guys like Bellinger, like Pete Alonzo, like Max Muncy. So you've got... I mean, it's the it's the running back conversation starting to come into baseball is what it is. If you've got depth, if you've got three guys on your team, if you're the Minnesota Twins and Max Kepler is hitting as many home runs as Nelson Cruz, you know, then, yeah, then your point is valid. Then why am I paying any any better? Why am I paying Bryce Harper $330 million, you know, when Max Kepler has just the production, just as much, if not more production, and he's batting in the seven hole. You know what I mean? So I, mm-hmm. it, it's going to get really ugly for these position players because you're starting to see a one-size-fits-all mentality, and you're, that's going to translate to the money. It's going to have to translate to money. Now, you're going to have your ancillary players, right? You're going to have your Trouts and guys like Harper who are just polarizing, right? And you're paying for butts and seats more than you're, more than you're paying for home runs with, with certain cases like that. But these middling guys like like Josh Donaldson 34 years old I'm not sure he can make much more than the 23 million dollars he made this year I think he might make less if he wants a three-year deal he might have to take 20 million 18 million a year and that's just the nature of where this is going it which which by the way isn't a bad thing you know you, we for so many years the, the Albert Pujols contracts were just being thrown around haphazardly right you were just you were paying for what a guy what a guy did not what what a player can do in his 30s and it was always just backwards thinking. So, so really, this is just a correction is all, is all this is. Starting pitching has always been dominant. For some reason, half the league decided they, tried, they were going to try to circumvent the starting pitching pay and, and patch together a depth, of, a, a depth bullpen at cost, right? Like we can, we can get six relievers that cost, cost as much as one elite starter. And if we can do that, maybe that's a better way to build our team. And for some teams, that can work. But for the majority of baseball, in 2019, especially that didn't work. So the focus is going to go back to, we need three starting pitchers. We'll pay for them if we have to. And then I think the batters are going to suffer from that financially because of it. Do you think we'll see with these starting pitchers because they see this shift that they're going to try to hold out sort of like a Harper as long as possible to get the best possible deal? Or do you foresee these players jumping like a Corbin, let just get me in. I want to be on a team. I don't want to drag things out. What do you yeah. think might be more of a case? I think in this it's the situation? nature of the player. I, I think a guy like Zach Wheeler might say that might say he, he might see an offer in a city that he wants to be in and take it. Uh, I wonder about a guy like Garrett Cole. Uh, Garrett Cole is in a very unique situation because teams are probably going to be throwing him 30 million plus a year right out of the gate, but he's in a pretty darn good <laughs> franchise right now. Like I said, he might be the third option in Houston right now. And if you're as good as he is and you're the third pitcher going up up against another team's third pitcher regularly, that's a pretty good place to be in, especially with that team around him. Now, can Houston pay him? I'm not sure. We, you and I had, a, had an offline discussion about this. Mm-hmm. They really haven't had to, had to pay their hitters yet. You know, the Carlos Correa's and the George Springer's and those players. So I'm not sure that from a, from a team-building financial standpoint that Houston can afford Garrett Cole, I just think, you know, does Cole end up taking less money to stay? Maybe that's a possibility. But 
Uh, yeah, there's going to be a, a piggyback off each other sort of mentality like you see with the quarterbacks, right? Like you see with Jared Goff piggybacking off of Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott doing the same, you, next, sort of the next man up mentality. Um, you're going to see that with a few of these pitchers. Now, the other the other difference here is the age difference. I mean, Garrett, the guys like Garrett Cole and Zach Wheeler are under 30. Guys like Dallas Keuchel, Madison Bumgarner, they're over 30. So there's going to be financial differences between these players based on their age. Um, and that's part of the correction that we talked about a couple of minutes ago where, you know, you're just not getting paid if you're 34, 30, 34 years old anymore. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to increase your valuation based on your age. So I, uh, I do think there will be some normalcy to it, but I'm excited that you've got maybe six, seven starting pitchers that can really make this free agency, honestly, fun. I mean, it's been boring for three years now. Mm. Oh, yeah. What, what, is there a reason that baseball doesn't do something like NBA or NHL or NFL where they have a set specific free agency deadline where there's this mass rush like in baseball as soon as the season's done essentially free agency begins and it you know it just goes under the radar I thought about this too it if there was a a, a hard deadline that everything started and maybe there's a negotiation period, but nothing can really be well, you've solidified. Got, you've got the winter meetings, which, jet, which generates some buzz. But I completely agree with you. Why isn't there a January 15th date or something like that? I mean, that's you. You could you could find yourself right, but you know, right before the NFL postseason gets going, right? So at, right after the the college bowl games, right before the NFL postseason gets going, there's probably a week window that the baseball could dominate with with a true free agency period. To me, it's just bad business that they don't have it. I mean, I mean the, the the notoriety that it generates for a week plus is, I mean, look at what happened in the NBA. There was a three week span where was there anything bigger in sports than NBA free the NBA offseason? I'm not sure there was. So, no. And leading up to July one, I mean, it wasn't even on July one that was the sure. talk of the town. Yeah, it, they owned June. The, they owned it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a miss on baseball's part right now. There's a few things they're missing on. I think the, 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 the timing of their draft is, is troublesome for a, a marketing standpoint. And then this is, you know, the fact that they don't package their free agency season up into a bundle, whether they just let it kind of spread out and, and, and sparsely come in. Um, yeah, like I said, it's boring that way. And that's a, to me, that's a, that's a miss from a business standpoint. So it's a good point by you. All right. Uh, last topic to get to, and it's hockey. And it's actually... Uh, you know, there's a little bit of a business side to it, but really, let's let's start with the Maple Leafs, who we've touched on a, a, a few times in the past couple of weeks here, just because of what they weren't doing versus what they are doing versus now we're here. Here we here we are with Mitch Marner, um, the maybe the biggest restricted free agent coming into this off season. Toronto gets it done, and they get it done right about where we all thought it was going to get done. He was asking for 11. It ends up being about 10.3 million a year. It's six for 65 million plus. In in true Toronto fashion, 61 million of that is a signing bonus, um, which is just sort of the way things work in Toronto based on taxes and uh, protection against lockouts and all sorts of things. But all of their big players, and Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and John Tavares, have this sort of structure. Uh, and let's talk about those three players because it, it now means that the Toronto Maple Leafs have the number three, number five, and number seven highest paid players in hockey right now. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that very rarely works, <laughs> right? Because none of those three players can single-handedly, you know, win you a game. You just can't do it. This isn't, this isn't the NBA, right? You're not doing this with 
Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and those guys are putting in you know a combined seventy minutes per game and a combined eighty points per game. That's just not how it works in hockey. It's, it, it translates more like a soccer field or or even you know a smaller football field, obviously. So obviously these three players are impactful. They're they're gigantic productions, you know, production players. They're also all off, all offensive players. And in signing these these uh, you know the Matthews and the Marners this year, along with a couple of other smaller deals, they've had to let Jake Gardner walk, one of their massive defensive uh, assets. So. Are, are they, they're clearly all in on offense right now with in Toronto, and uh, you know we've seen they've struggled with goaltending, they've struggled with defense in the past. It appears that their their plan is to go out there and outscore everybody, and I'm not sure that can work. But that's uh, that's the nature of the Toronto Maple Leafs right now, and uh, boy, they're spending some cash, huh, Scott? <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. Do you do you foresee if m- maybe not this year, but next year? barring this completely implodes and doesn't work one of these three getting moved at a trade deadline maybe marner because he was so late in signing do you think they may shift away from one of them if something happens no i don't think these three are in danger of that i think maybe nylander might be um if you remember they locked in william nylander to i believe six and a half million a year which was way below where the market sort of said he should be so he's clearly the fourth, the fourth cog on this wheel right now. Um, so I wonder if he, and that's a very tradable contract at that price. So I, I wonder if maybe he's the one that moves. I, I do think, look, they're going to be up against the cap now the whole year because of what they've done here. They're going to use uh, you know, some long-term injury relief to uh, get themselves straight, but they're not going to be in comfortable standing at all here. So I, I have to imagine at least one trade is in the works, whether it's now or, or, or up against that February deadline. Um, I just think these three are probably safe. This is they're they're paying for core here is what they're doing. I just wonder if Nylander might be the first guy to fall off the line here. Yeah, I mean those those three when you said spending a lot of money, that's thirty five percent of their cap for three guys <laughs> in a league that is hard capped and uh, that that's a lot of financial yeah uh, on offense. To, on offense, no defense, not on their goalie, and you know they have to have room to bring guys up and down with injuries. Exactly. So, I mean, thirty-five percent for three guys just seems like well, that's the concern, right? What if one of these guys goes down? What if one of these guys, you know, breaks a wrist and has to go on injured reserve? Now that's just dead cap sitting there. Now you're hamstringed with a roster spot plus plus you know uh, up being up against the salary cap. So. They are playing with fire, in my opinion, and that's why I really do think there's a trade coming in the next maybe month or so. But we'll see. We'll keep an eye on this team. Look, look at this might work out gangbusters. Right? They might score five goals a night and show us all, you know, you know, shut us all up and, and go out there and play some really fun hockey. Um, I'm just saying, especially in other sports, when teams start to do this and, and really ramp up high paid players on a roster that, you know, needs 20, not three. Generally, this doesn't work out. So they're playing with fire right now, in my opinion. But let's talk a little bit about the, the NHL cap just to finish up here and how, well, it's not going to change now. We know that. The uh, NF, the NHLPA essentially said, we're good for now, and they didn't opt out of this, this CBA for now, which means things are safe until 2022. Which So there's at least two more seasons where these two sides can sit behind closed doors and, and, and start to talk about some of this stuff a little bit more and figure out what has to bend and flex here. Uh, to me, and from what I've been reading and hearing, it's all about the escrow money. And, and 
Much of the same for the NFL, by the way. Similar conversations of if these leagues are really making as much money as we all know they are, because you know, sites like Forbes talk about this stuff every year constantly. We know how much these these leagues are making. The NHL is not, you know, excluded from this conversation. Then there shouldn't be a need for escrow. There shouldn't be a need to wait to pay players in order to understand what the revenue is going to be and, and make sure that they can make their paydays and, and then dole out the money because this is what happens. It's like a stock market, okay? So these salaries go into an escrow and based on the fluctuation of revenues, right? TV money, seat money, all the things that go into a hockey, a hockey season, that the, the numbers can go down versus up and they've been going down sort of regularly over the last seven years from what I've been reading. In fact, the, the, from what I read here at this Forbes article, player salaries have been chopped off about 10% because of the mm. downslide in revenue. And, and it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable that the league is reporting lower revenues like this and the players have to suffer for it because of an escrow system. Um, it's essentially like putting your salary in a, into a 401k and then, you know, we go into a recession. <laughs> so... Uh, it, it, there's, it, it's not necessary. The, the player should be, should be paid as is, as they earn it. And, you know, if there's wh whatever the compromise has to be, whatever has to happen from a player's standpoint to allow this to happen, my thinking is the cap is going to drop and then subsequently the max salaries will drop. So if players are making $12 million right now on, 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 a, on a cap, $87 million cap, then it's going to have to come down to maybe $11.5 million. It'll be a slight dip across the board, not just with the max salaries, but across the board. Everything, everything's going to have to drop down a little bit to account for a lower salary cap, which essentially then will allow you know, teams to be able to pay into the pot immediately rather than have to push it down the, down the way. S the same thing should, be, should happen with the NFL. There's absolutely no need for guaranteed money to be put in escrow. The Khalil Mack situation should never happen again, where a team thinks they can't afford to, pay a, up to pay, uh, extend a player because they can't put $60 million of guaranteed money into a, into a bank account right now. That's got to stop, all right? I mean, the, the Raiders aren't broke. You know, they weren't broke then. They're not broke now. You know, they found a way to make $30 million worth for Antonio Brown, even though they didn't have to pay it to him. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the conversation that gets thrown around about how these leagues really shouldn't, can't, can't be affording to guarantee contracts or can't be affording to pay players this and this or, you know, Teams are having trouble reaching their cash floors, which is an unbelievable conversation that I'm not going to get into right now. But it's just a, it's the discussion we had with you know, the Colts and the Texans you know, not too long ago here. It's just a refusal to pay. <laughs> That's all this is. That's all this is. So uh, to me, the escrow situation has to become a focus over the next two years with the NHL. Same, as, same must go with the NFL, and I think both of these things will get resolved eventually. Do, do the signing bonuses have to be part of that escrow? Yeah, because guaranteed. I mean, look, yeah, looking at the, you know, we just talked about the Maple Leafs and those three players, they have these signing bonuses every year. So, and these minimum base salaries. So that's affected with that. Correct. It's all part of it. Like I said, we, we, if you remember the discussion we had about Kawhi Leonard playing for the Toronto Raptors, mm -hmm. the signing bonus is actually a really good way to play it, play it, player in Canada because of the difference in a base salary versus a signing bonus salary in, right. in terms of taxation. So that's a big, big part of that in Toronto. Um, there are there are some CBA differences between a signing bonus and a base salary as well. So to your point, it is... It, it, look, at the bonuses all, are all factored in. It's all part of it. Um, but the, that's a guaranteed bonus that will get paid out. So it's a stronger position for a player to take, which is why I, I you know, I, 
more and more players should be taking it. And when I see a contract that isn't structured like this, I raise my eyebrows a little bit because this is the stronger way for the player to sign a contract right now. Do you also think that this is being shelled till 2022 in the fact that Seattle's bringing in their no expansion question. team? There's the more money coming. That. Yeah, there's more money so. coming. Every <laughs> every franchise has been guaranteed money because of this expansion team. And we saw how well that worked out with, with, with Las Vegas. So there's no question they're sort of sitting on their hands right now because they know there's a payday coming. Has there been anything with uh, uh, TV revenue? I mean, we've seen it with basketball. We've seen it with an, an NFL. And that may, you know, some of the rumblings are with direct TV and some of the streaming and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Is, is there any TV money going to get piped in with the new CBA or anything like that? Have you heard anything where? See, the NHL is funny, and we've had, we've had Kevin sort of break this down a little bit for us on, in recent shows. Because of the split between Canada and the United States, the, 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 the TV money is essentially split. So U.S. money makes their U.S. TV makes their money. Canadian TV makes their money. So there's you don't get that big major impact, mm. you, you know, to the overall annual revenue that you would with a league like the NFL. Um, and by the way, the NFL money is coming big. It's coming. Re- I mean, you're having a bidding war for the streaming services. You're having a bidding war for uh, the Game Pass, the Direct TV, like you yeah, talked exactly. about. Yeah, um, exactly. Mm-hmm. I. I I don't know. I don't know to boot really what the NHL streaming situation is. I have to imagine that that's an avenue that they should be seeking because that would be a more global avenue, right? So streaming money versus just TV money is not 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 only is it the way we're watching the game, but it's just, it seems to be a better revenue stream for them. Well, uh, yeah. With I, I watch the Sabers through the streaming, and it costs me uh, slightly less to watch just the Sabers. I can pay a little bit more to be able to watch all of the teams if I chose to. Right. I, I kind of like that model where I can just pick the team I want to watch and I can watch those games and not have to pay the wow. extra for the teams that I don't necessarily want to see. We've mentioned so, it before, but the NBA is king in this as well, right? I mean, with this this, yeah. this plan the NBA is putting out there, get ready for it because we're about a month away now. But the, you want to you explain what that's going to be, Scott? Watch fourth quarter only. Right. <laughs> you know, last two last minutes, five minutes. Pay, pay not pay ninety nine cents or however they're structuring it to yep. watch the last two minutes of a game because that's what you care about. Yep. I mean, it's an, it's definitely an interesting model, and I'll be interested to see the money financial kickback based on that because you know it's it's revolutionary. We, we haven't seen anything like that. They're pushing the the bar, and if something like that was in the NHL where you could just watch the end of a game if it's really close and jump in for a marquee game or anything like that. It may get some of those uh, general fans to want to watch those those, uh, Do you get your games. money back if it turns into a shack a hack in the last two minutes? <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> that's not something I want to pay for. No, definitely not. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap it right there. I want to thank our uh, presenting sponsors, Morgan Stanley, Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, empowering professional athletes and entertainers with the knowledge they need to make informed decisions about their finances and wealth. And we've certainly talked a lot about finances and wealth today. Learn more. Go to morganstanley.com slash GSE, Morgan Stanley, Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. My thanks to Scott Allen. My name is Mike Janetti. We will be back soon with another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>